Well, welcome to the third week of a series called The Question That Never Goes Away. We've been wrestling with how all of us deal with this question, why? Today we're talking about a question you may have asked, God, why didn't you answer my prayer? And I'm excited to have my friend Dave Milam here to share that with us. Dave is the lead pastor of One Life Church in Concord. He's spoken here before, so we're happy to have Dave Milam here to share the next part in this series. Let's welcome him to LifePoint today. <laughs> so that's a LifePoint welcome, huh? I was sitting there looking. Donnie is a handsome man, isn't he? Nobody agreed. Perfect. <laughs> Donnie needs to see this tape. I'm just saying, no one agreed, no one agreed. Hey, let me just tell you, when Donnie called me and said, here is our series title, um, it, there it is, The Question That Never Goes Away. That scared me because honestly, <laughs> there are some questions that will never go away, like questions that for the rest of your life you will hear. Here's one. You get home from work, you walk in, you put your stuff down. Here's the question. What's for dinner? Never goes away. And it has a cousin. It's, hey, where do you want to go for dinner? Right? Here, here's another one. Here's another one. Never will go away. Here it is. Do, does this outfit make me look fat? Yeah, never. Go, guys, sorry. Never is going to go away. How about this one? Uh, would you like fries with that? Yeah? Ne for the rest of your life. Would you like fries with that? Here, here's, here's another one. Um, you're driving, it's a long trip, you've got kids in the backseat, you with me? Um, about two hours in, they start asking a question that never goes away. Are we there yet? Yeah, right, are we there yet? Questions that never go away. Today's question is an amazing question because I believe that today's question, once we start to wrestle with it a little bit, has the power of increasing your faith in enormous ways. Now, the problem is it also has the power to destroy your faith, depending on what you do with it. Uh, let's just start here if we can. Imagine this for me. You're gonna have to just imagine in your mind's eye, imagine what I'm imagining. Picture yourself on your couch or your chair, wherever the, the room where your TV is in your house. Picture yourself there. On your lap, you have this big bowl of Torito, Doritos. Maybe there are some other people in the room with you. Now, again, you're gonna have to work here. Imagine, imagine you're watching the final game of the NCAA tournament. And imagine North Carolina's playing. Imagine. And let's just say, hypothetically, it's tied and it's the last four seconds of the game. Just imagine. And so you're a North Carolina fan. You know God is a Tar Heels fan. So um, <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's in uh, First Opinions 3. And, and uh, so you pray up to God. God, this is your team. Um, just, I'm just asking for one basket here. That's all I'm asking for. You reach in the Doritos. Ten minutes later, you're eating. And then you find yourself asking this incredible question that never goes away. Here it is. Why? Didn't God answer my prayer? Like, it's a for real question. Like, imagine you have this interview with a dream company. Potentially, it's the company that you have wanted to work for all your life, and somehow you have landed the interview. 
So before you walk into an interview, you, show, uh, you, you throw a quick prayer up to heaven and you say, God, hey, listen, you know I want this job. You know I've been praying for this for a long, long time. God, help me get the job. You do the interview. A week later, you hear nothing. Two weeks later, you discover that they've hired someone else and you find yourself asking this question. Why didn't God answer my prayer? I don't know, like, what the blank would be for you in this example, but maybe there's something that you would put in the blank that you have been praying for for a really, really long time. For some of you, it's about to get touched. You've been praying for a baby for a really, really long time. There's nothing more that you want than to just be pregnant and have it. You've been praying a long time for this. For some of you, you have been praying just for someone to love you. You want to get married, you see yourself as married, but it's not working out for you. And you've been praying, you've been praying, and you'll even pray scripture to God. God, you said it's not good for us to be alone. This is, what's going, maybe you've just been praying for peace in your house. Like whenever you go home, it's a war zone. And you've just been praying for God to do something. And you pray, and you pray, and the years go on, and you pray, and you find yourself asking this question. Why didn't God answer my prayer? For me, I planted a church. I started a church in Concord, North Carolina 11 years ago. And the first two years were okay because we had to set up and tear down in a school. Year three, year four, I start going, oh, I'm getting a little tired here. God, I need you to give us a building. Can you help us get a building, right? So year four, we still don't have a building. So around year five, I start getting a little more intense with God because I have a feeling he's not really hearing me. <laughs> so they say, you know, you got to act like a kid walking into the throne room of God. So I stormed the throne room of God, shaking my fist saying, God, seriously now, I'm not going to go away on this issue. I'm going to be in your face until you give us a building. On and on and on and on I went. You're six, you're seven, you're eight. no building. And before I knew it, I was asking as a pastor of a church, why didn't God answer my prayer? Like, it seems like this is something that he would want. A church with a building. Why would he not answer my prayer? And if you're not careful, when you start asking that question, you start to answer it. And the answer tends to be, you're the problem. Like maybe you don't have enough faith. Yeah, the scripture says, if you have faith, just as tiny as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here and go there and it'll move. And so you begin wondering, what's wrong with my faith? And so then you begin recruiting other people around you to pray, like the really faithful ones, right? And they pray and still why didn't God answer my prayer? And you begin to wonder what's wrong with you and you begin to think that maybe the problem is you. But I wonder if the problem necessarily isn't you. I kind of think that the problem is the question. It's the question we ask. Because here's the truth, when we're looking at this question, God always answers prayer. Here's the thing. He gives three, there are three possible answers if this is multiple choice. God sometimes answers, answers a prayer and he says this. 
Sometimes he says, yes. And we love that, don't we? We love that. You wanted that date and you prayed for God and they asked you out and God said yes. And you know what you don't ask when God says yes? You don't ask the question, why didn't God answer my prayer? Why? Because he answered your prayer. Here's another possible answer. You, got, you ask God for something and here's what God says. No. That's where we start to wonder why God didn't answer your prayer. You know what else he can say? He can say this. He can say, not yet, which really honestly feels like the previous answer, no. For a while, doesn't it? So the problem is not that God doesn't answer our prayer because he does. The problem is we just don't like his answer sometimes. We're not happy with what he says and we don't want God to tell us no. Now, I just want you to know Sometimes you'll point the finger at yourself and begin to believe that you were the problem and you were the reason that God says no. But let me just, we're gonna do a quick survey here real fast. You ready? This is gonna be great. I'm gonna ask a question. And if, if you can respond by raising your hand or not raising your hand, the answer, I want every person in this room to do it. I want the tech team to do it. I want people walking out the door. Right there. I want everyone to do it. Here we go, here we go. Ready? Here's the question. Um, <clears throat> let's say you have prayed a prayer before. I want you to raise your hand if ever, at any time, any time God has told you no to something you've prayed for. Raise your hand. Okay, the people who don't have their hands raised, God says yes to them all the time. <laughs> so they're the ones you need to have prayer for. Put your hands up again, everybody, hands up, hands up. I want you to look around right now. Look at all of the hands. You're not alone. Every person in this room, if they're honest, has their hand up. God says no, you can put your hand down. God says no. As a matter of fact, God even said no to Jesus. He's in the garden, man, he's praying hard. Scripture says he's praying so much, he's sweating and he's sweating drops of blood. He's so stressed out. And Jesus says right before they arrest him, Jesus says, Father, if it's possible, would you let this cup pass from me? And God says, no. God told Jesus no. And if anybody got it right, it was Jesus. So even Jesus was told no by, and so if Jesus is told no by God, then hello, you and I are gonna get told no by God. Sometimes. So the question isn't, does God answer our prayers? Because he does. Or why didn't God answer our prayers? Because he does answer our prayers. The question is, what do we do when God says no or God says not yet? How do we live in this space called the no of God when God says no to you? Because really how you live in this space really determines whether if the no answer will propel, propel you forward to faith or if it will destroy your faith. There are probably some people in this room today who left the church because God told you no and you didn't like it. Let me give you a vision for what could be. Can I do that? Uh, let's look at um, a scripture in the book of Acts because I want you to get a picture of what 
could and should be when God tells us something, like a vision of what can happen. Here's the setup. There's a guy, his name is Paul. He was like in the, in the New Testament. He hadn't been a Christian that long, and he was traveling around to different cities. And he had a buddy with him whose name is Silas. So Paul and Silas are kind of walking around, and they run across this woman who is demon-possessed. Now, she wasn't like crazy freaking out demon-possessed. What the demon inside her did was give her the ability to foretell the future. Well, apparently there were some guys in the town who realized that she was able to predict the future and decided to basically incorporate this woman, right? So they grabbed her, they began selling her ability to predict the future for profit and for money, and they had a whole business running. It was a great deal for them, and all she had to do was you know, just be demon-possessed. Well, Paul and Silas run across this lady and say, it's not a great idea for her to be demon-possessed. So they cast out the demon. Well, the business owners, man, their entire life, dream, and business plan is now out the window. And so they get mad. And they grab Paul and Silas and drag them into the center of the market. And they start out loud accusing Paul and Silas of what they've done. Now, look what happens. Here's where we pick up. So here's Paul and Silas. They're in the market. There's a crowd around. Here's what it says. And a crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. So picture that. They're in the town. A crowd is now coming in and attacking Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Can you imagine that? Judge Judy, take off their clothes and beat them with a broom pole, right? No. So that's what happens. They're in town, stripped, beaten, right? Black and blue. Look at this next verse. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. Like, seriously. All they did, they cast out a demon. That was it. These guys get mad. They're beaten by a crowd, stripped, beaten with rods, and they're now they're severely flogged, and they're thrown in prison. They're in prison. Um, and the jailer then is commanded to guard them carefully. Now check this out. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to stocks. So now they're solitary confinement, feet are in stocks, they're sore, probably skin all ripped off of them, bruised, cut. I mean, it's rough. Rats crawling across their legs. They're not eating unless somebody brings them food. It's a really rough spot. Now check out this next verse. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, I want to be that, I, I don't want to be in a prison, but I want to be able to have that kind of a response. This is the same Paul who asked God to take away what he called a thorn in the flesh three times. And God said, no, three times. And yet this Paul, in this circumstance, in the worst moment of his life in prison, is now saying, I'm gonna cry out to God and that's where I wanna go. That kind of faith. Man, I want that kind of faith in those moments to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I can turn to God, that he will hear me and he will faithfully respond. I want that kind of faith, don't you? Like, even though that God says no, even though that he says yes, he says no, and sometimes he says not yet, I want in these moments to know that I can turn to God and he's gonna hear me and he's gonna listen. That's what it would look like to live in the no. 
So I look at that and I see that picture and I begin to wonder, how do you get there? Like, I, I wanna be like that. And what I discovered, believe it or not, is that the answer is actually found in chapter 16. Like you can find it there. So if you have your Bibles, if you wanna grab them, we're gonna actually be diving into Acts chapter 16. If you have a phone, you wanna flip that out, that's totally cool. We're gonna be in Acts chapter 16 because the answer is found in Acts chapter 16. It's gonna be at the very beginning of the verse that we're gonna start. Paul had a perspective that allowed him to live in the space where God told him no. Here's where we're gonna go with this perspective. Here's the, here's the first verse that we're gonna dig into. Here it is. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lives. So he comes to this town, there's this dude named Timothy, whose mother was Jewish and whose father was a Greek. So he's growing up in a home where mom's Jewish, dad, not so much Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. And Paul, this verse here is unbelievable. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. Look at these next four words. So he circumcised him. I wonder what that conversation looked like. Like if I'm a recruiter and I'm trying to get somebody to come on a missionary journey with me, <laughs> honestly, how do you have that conversation? right? You go, hey, Timothy, um, I've been hanging around town and everybody's speaking well of you. Your references check out. Um, I've been thinking, like, I feel like God's telling me that I should invite you on this missionary journey with me. Um, so I'm going to invite you to do that. Oh, how much does it cost? Well, about that. Um, I'll tell you what, I'll do the fundraising. So from the dollar standpoint, it's not gonna cost you anything, but there is one thing that it's going to cost you. Um, but it, just circumcision. But let me just tell you about that before we dig in. Relax, Timothy. Um, here's what I've done already. I have recruited the best doctor um, in all of the town. Like he's the best, I'm telling you, he's the best. And he is hooked up with people who can figure out how to get you numb. Like, I don't know how that works, but there's an anesthesiologist, they call him Bob the Drunk down there. He's gonna come in and do the deal. And you're gonna be okay. It's gonna be the easiest deal. Like, here's the thing. I don't believe that Paul did it that way. I, I, I don't think that that's how that went down. My guess is Paul had a conversation with God and said, God, I, really, you're asking me to call him and you're asking me to tell him he needs to be circumcised. Okay, here we go. Hey, Timothy. I really feel like God's have, wanting me to ask you to come on this trip with me, but you're gonna have to be circumcised. I think that was probably it. Um, there was something that Paul was doing here. I don't know that you caught it, but I wanna show this to you. There was a perspective that he had that will help you live in this place when God tells you no. Here, here's the perspective, ready? I'm gonna put it up here right now. God... What are you up to? Uh, we're actually gonna do, um, like, pretend like you're in preschool for a second. We're all gonna do motions here because I want you to take this home with you, okay? Um, here's what it is. I want you to look at this. God, what are you up to? Right, you see that? God, 
What are you up to? Uh, do that with me, and we're going to say it together out loud. Come on, it, it, pretend with me. Here we go, together. You raised your hand. I know you're still alive, so here we go. Point up. Here we go, together. One, two, three. God, what are you up to? Now, this works really great. Those of you who don't like to do this, let me just tell you. You can do this in a big way. You can raise your hand. You can go like that. Or it can be really, really small when you don't want anybody to know. You can go. All right, so those of you who don't want to do it, you can have your hand in your lap and you can just go. And it's totally cool. Let's try this together one more time. Uh, you can do it big if you want to. You can do it whatever. Here we go. One, two, three. God, what are you up to? God, what are you up to? I, I wonder if Paul asked that question here. Like, I wonder if Paul looked up to God and said, whoa, 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 God. You're asking me to ask him to go on this trip with me and to be circumcised. That's a big ask. I, I'm not sure I can do that, but I hear you're calling me. God, this is between you. I don't know why you have put me in this position. God, why have you put me here in this town with this guy to ask this question? What are you doing here? God, what are you up to, right? This question really works when we're dealing with other people. God, what are you up to? Here's a great situation. You ready for this? Um, maybe, maybe in your relationship with your spouse, there are moments when you wanna ask this question. Maybe you've even prayed to God to change your spouse. She's grumpy. She's disorganized. He never puts his socks away. He can't get it, whatever. He can't get a job. Whatever it is, you want God to come in and change your spouse. And you know what God has said? Nope, I'm gonna do it. I'm not gonna change your spouse. <laughs> no elbows, please. Do you know what this can look like? This can look like this conversation. Well, God, I've been asking you to change my situation here. And it doesn't seem like you're doing it. So God, why in the world have you put me in this relationship with this person that's disorganized or that is grumpy or they can't get it? Why have you called me to be here right now, God, you and me? God, what are you up to right now? Because clearly you've called me right here in this time and this place to be here in this relationship. What are you doing? Here's one. Many of you are in jobs where you don't like your boss or you don't like the people you're working with. You've prayed that God would kill one of them. And you know what God has said? No, no. Here's the Paul perspective. Here's how it looks like, here's what it looks like to live in the know is to go, God, you have clearly given me this place to work. In the context of people who are a pain to work with and for, why have you put me here? This is between you and me. I'm not asking you to change anybody. I'm asking you to help me figure out what you have me doing here. God, what are you up to here? Some of you have been praying that other people will change to make your life easier or your life better, and God has looked at you and said, no. And it's possible 
to live in the know, you may need to ask this key question. God, what are you up to? Here's another place that we see Paul using this question. This is amazing. I love this one. This is Acts chapter 16, starting with verse six. Here's what it says. Paul and his companion traveled through. I love all of these names in the New Testament remind me of Star Wars planets. You're gonna be cursed now. Here we go. Uh, traveled to the region of Phrygia and Galatia. <laughs> they have been, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in Asia. So apparently, Paul and his group wanted to go to Asia and somehow, I don't even know what that looks like, the Holy Spirit kept them from going to Asia. So what'd they do? They're like, all right, no big deal. We'll go to Phrygia and Galatia. <laughs> Look at this next verse. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went to Troas. You see, hello. Like they try to go into a city and somehow God stops them. Like just stop. There's an obstacle in the way. Now imagine for a, se for a second Let's say that you are in charge of dinner at a rehearsal dinner, okay? Maybe there's 40 or 50 people there, and somehow you have decided that you're gonna have the rehearsal dinner at the Outback Steakhouse. Why? I don't know, but that's what you've chosen. So they do the rehearsal, and then you go to the dinner. There's like 40 or 50 people with you. You walk in first because you made the reservations. You go up to the hostess counter and said, we're here We've got the 40 people here, 40 plus people. We're ready for our tables. And the hostess looks surprised and shocked. And she looks down and she looks back up at you. And then she says, just a second. <laughs> and then she goes to the manager and she comes back and she looks at you and says, I'm really sorry. We don't have that reservation here. And we're not gonna be able to accommodate you guys. Now there's something that happens there. Imagine you were to walk away from the hostess and go with your party and you circled up and you said to them, well, apparently the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to eat it out back. The spirit of Jesus is preventing us from being at the outback. No, you don't do that. That doesn't even make sense. Like what is natural? Like all of a sudden we start doing this finger pointing stuff, right? We're like, oh yes, I made this phone call. You check your books again. You better go look because I know here's who I talked to and I'm gonna tell Yelp and Google and everybody else I can that you dropped the ball here. Go talk to your manager. And you talk, to, you start pointing. And after all that said and done, what do you do? You start turning the fingers this way. Oh, I should have called this morning. Oh, I should have had a backup plan. Oh, I should have, I should have. And everybody else is starting to point fingers too, aren't they? because you got nothing. And then what do you do? You start pointing fingers this way. God, what are you? I, I want a wingman that's got my back and you didn't have my back on this one. You let me down and now I'm in a terrible, terrible place. What if you had the perspective that Paul had and you said, Whoa, God, listen, I know you have the power to open up doors and part seas and make a way for people. I know you do. And I also know you have the ability to close doors. God, I think you're up to something here. 
I know you applied for that job and you prayed for it and you didn't get it. God, I think you're up to something here. Do you realize that sometimes man's rejection is God's protection? When that person left you and you thought you were gonna get married and you're like, whoa, God, you know what's happening there? You look up to God and say, is it possible that the Holy Spirit prevented it from happening? Is it possible? And maybe, just maybe, it feels like a no to God, but really he's working it out for you and you don't even know. Maybe instead of getting furious, you should get curious and have this one-on-one conversation with God and say, God, what are you up to? Because this doesn't make a lick of sense to me. What are you up to right now? It's how you live in the no, the space when God tells you no. Here's the last one. I love this one as well. This is Acts chapter 16, starting with verse nine. It says this, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. So he's having this dream and there's this guy standing in the city. This is the dream. It's a short dream, apparently. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Dream over, Paul wakes up. Paul, after Paul had seen the vision, we all got up and got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that, like, look, this is his immediate, like, oh, this is what God's saying. Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, I'll be honest. If I went to bed tonight and maybe I had tacos before I went to bed and had this strange dream, and I dreamed of a man in Jamaica standing on the beach saying, come help us, man, you know, however he would do it. I would not wake up, immediately go to my wife and say, pack your bags. I think God's calling us to Jamaica. Now, after a really hard meeting or conversation, I might think that, but not after a dream. And yet this is Paul's reaction. Like he has this upward kind of conversation, this what is God doing when he's talking about others, right? When he's talking about obstacles and when he's talking about opportunities. And now we have an opportunity and God is presenting him an opportunity and he knows that God has been up to something and he's moving and stirring. And you know what happens with Paul? He's not afraid to take the opportunity. Why? Because he trusts God. He trusts him. He knows that God is gonna provide for him. He knows that God has got his back. He knows that he's chosen and called and a son and son of God. He knows he can handle God's no. He can handle God's yes. He can handle God's not yet. And so when God calls, he just goes. It's okay, God's got me. Can you imagine that kind of faith? And you know what happens? He ends up beaten by a crowd, stripped and hit with a bunch of rods, and now he's in prison. (laughs) I want that perspective. I, um, so it had been 10 years that we had planted. And I had shaken my fist at God for a building for a long, long time. 
And um, honestly, I had, I had given up that God would ever say yes. To me, it was a no, deal with it. And so last year, right around mid-year, I, um, I just felt like God was leading me and that it was time for me to stop leading the church. We didn't have a building yet, and maybe someone else needed to do it. So my wife and I prayed about it for like three or four months, and then I went to the elders, and I said to the elders who are the leaders of our church, I said, guys, so I've been trying really hard for us to get, I've been shaking my fist at God, and for whatever reason, there's still no building. And it's just really hard to keep going in this portable way. And so I told him, I said, it's probably time for us to start talking about what transition looks like. And I, I served with really great guys, and so they looked at me, and they were gracious and um, spirit-filled and... And then I'll tell you, not even three months later, my phone rings, and I pick up the phone, and the other voice on the phone says, hey, is this Pastor Milam? And I go, yes, it is. They say, I don't know, I'm a secretary of the lead pastor at our church, and our church just outgrew our building, and we relocated and built a brand new building, and now our old space is sitting empty, and I don't know, I thought we'd call you and find out if you'd be interested in having it and leasing it. And I was like, no. No, I was like, yeah, yeah, I think we might be interested. I took down their, wrote it on a napkin, took down their information. In the next four months, our church had, mo our church had moved into a building. Ten and a half years. That was long. And now that I'm standing on this stage right now looking back at those moments, it took me like eight years before I even started going, God, what are you doing here? Because God, you know I've prayed. And God, you know I have come at you really strong about this, but every time you have told me no, I don't know why, I don't know what you're doing, but you're up to something and I don't know what it is. And you know what I discovered standing on this stage, looking back on those years, do you know what God was up to? He told me no for so long because he was up to me. Like he wanted more for me. He wanted to grow me and mature me and care about me and not give me what I couldn't handle. God was up to me. And the reason he didn't give me what I needed, I'm not talking about you, didn't give me what I needed is because I needed something else more. And so God told me no, knowing that he had my best interest in mind and I pouted and stomped my feet and didn't like it a bit because I didn't like hearing his no. And yet God loved me enough and cared about me enough to say no. And I have learned to discover what it means and what it looks like to live in the know. 
I'm not naive enough to think that you didn't walk in here with stuff that you have been asking God for a long time. And it may be even stuff that's in his will. You want a kid to come back to him and just start going to church. There's a friend of yours who's just drinking and drinking and destroying their life and you just want them to change. You want a new job. Your relationship is terrible. I don't know what it is. You want a baby. You want to get married. I don't. You know what it means to live in the know? Sometimes it means you have to do what Paul did. And you have to look up to God and ask this really, really key question. You have to say, Let's pray. God, I hate the word no. And when you say it, it seems so final. And yet I know you love me and you care about me and have called me your own. God, in this space called the no that we find ourselves living in, God, right now, I want to trust that you love us, love us and have our best interest in mind. And so I'm going to ask you, God, I don't get it. What's going on here? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.